Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you here for part two of the Money Talk series. I'm thankful that you came back knowing the subject matter. Appreciate you being here. Uh, Last week in lesson number one, I told you the goal of the series is to teach people how to attain financial freedom and in the process, enjoy and experience God's abundant blessing on your finances. That's the goal. That's our sincere desire, is that we could take the principles found in the Word of God, which are life-changing principles, apply them to our finances, and experience God's abundance, what He has for us, His rich blessing on us. So that's what we're trying to do with this series. Uh, Please believe me when I tell you, and I mentioned this last week as well, this series is not about us getting rich, Community Christian Church getting rich on your contributions. And I make that statement because when we talk about money, that's what a lot of people think. But that's not what we're about. Although I will say that the effectiveness and success of Community Christian Church, like any other church, is dependent upon uh, God's people being faithful and consistent with their tithe. I mean, we we have to have that. Uh, The Word of God teaches that. And someday in this series, some week, we're going to be talking about tithing. But not today. So, put a smile on your face, turn to the person next to you and say, he's not talking about tithing today. All right, today, what I want to talk about is what most experts uh, call the most costly and most expensive component or element of the world in the world of finance. And now I mean a dreadful four-letter word called debt. D-E-B-T. Debt is the number one killer of a healthy and blessed financial portfolio. I'll say that again. Debt, according to the experts, is the number one killer of a healthy and blessed financial portfolio. And tell me again, what's the goal of the series? A healthy and blessed financial portfolio. That's what we're after. And friend, it's attainable. We can get there. This series that we're teaching throughout the month of February, if you will pay close attention to it and take it to heart, it can change your your finances. It can change the way you think. And last week we talked all about attitude, having the proper attitude. So we can get there. And if right about now you're experiencing some financial trouble, small problems or big problems... I've got good news for you. It can take a little bit of work, but your financial future could get better starting today. I mean, I want to infuse you with that hope that you have a better financial future ahead of you. And it all starts with a commitment or a decision to make some changes and put your financial house in order. Can I get you to say that? Put your financial house in order. You have to start there. You have to make the determination, this is what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to go after my finances. I'm going to really apply the word of God. And whenever I hear that term, put your house in order, that always reminds me of an Old Testament story found in the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 20 tells us the story of a man by the name of King Hezekiah. And some of you remember that name from a story I told a couple of weeks ago during the 2020 vision series. King Hezekiah was a good king. The scripture tells us he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he was able to lead God's people back to a place of worshiping him after years and years of disobedience and rebellion. King Hezekiah worked really hard to restore the worship among God's people and to lead people into some spiritual advancements. And the Bible tells us that after years of faithful service, Hezekiah got sick. Only it wasn't just a little sickness. It wasn't like he had the flu. This, the scripture says, was a sickness to the point of death. In other words, he had a terminal illness. And so what God did is he sent the prophet Isaiah to King Hezekiah with a word. Here's the prophetic word that Isaiah gave to the king. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You are not going to recover from your sickness. That was the specific word that God gave to Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah was never wrong, ever. Put your house in order. You're going to die. Well, as soon as Hezekiah heard that word, the Bible says that he turned toward God with all of his heart, and he began to cry out to him and to pray. And he said, God, don't you remember me? I'm one of the good guys. I have done so much for the kingdom of God. I need help, God. I need to be healed. And if you remember the story, then you know that God heard Hezekiah's prayer and decided to change his mind. And he sent Isaiah back to Hezekiah with a second message. This time God said, okay, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to help you. And I'm going to add 15 years to your life. And that's what happened. Hezekiah lived for another 15 years. But please understand, even though God extended Hezekiah's life and he lived for all that time, he never withdrew or took back the instructions he gave him during the first part of that message was to put your house in order. He never said, okay, Hezekiah, change my mind. You don't have to put your house in order. The instruction to do that was still in play. And even though God added 15 years to Hezekiah's life, he wanted him to take the time to make sure everything was in order. And as we make our way through this new year, what I'm describing as a very special, once-in-a-lifetime kind of year, 2020, what a number. I sense that the Spirit of God is saying the same thing to us that he said to Hezekiah all those years ago, put your house in order. Make a determination, make a decision this year, not next year, not five years from now, this year to put your financial house in order. And as I pray about this, and I've been praying about it since December when we knew that this series was coming, I just sense the Lord has added uh, some verbiage and some words to that message to put your house in order. And he's saying to us, uh, and I want to give this to you prophetically, that not only... Am I asking you 
and instructing you to put your house in order, I am going to give you the strength and the grace and the provision to do that. God is saying, I'm going to give you the provision to make the necessary changes so that your finances will be different this year. Friend, that's a great word. Someone should be excited about that. Because when God gives us instruction and he wants to get us somewhere, he usually gives us the provision to get us there. And so God wants to help us. God wants us to experience this full blessing on our finances. And if we're going to be serious about all that, if we're going to take God at his word and trust him for favorable change, then an extremely important first step is to go after our debt. It's to address this whole issue called debt. And again, according to the experts, debt is the number one cause of financial ruin. I'm going to say that again, because I want that to sink in. Those of us who experience financial devastation and bankruptcy and difficulties with our finances need to know that rated really high on the list, according to the people who study all this and do this, debt is usually the number one cause of financial ruin. And money problems don't end with foreclosure. Debt has a way of causing our relational happiness and success to go bankrupt as well. Debt can affect everything that applies to us. And in all my years of pastoring, 35 plus years in full-time ministry, I have never once heard anyone say, Ever since I got myself into debt, my marriage is healthier. <laughs> now that I have high interest rates on my credit card, I sleep better at night. And every morning, the first thing I do is I jump out of bed and I worship God and I praise him for all of the consumer debt that I have. I never once heard anyone say anything even remotely close to that. But I have heard people say, because of my debt, I'm all stressed out. And I'm having trouble sleeping at night. Because of my debt, I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to be able to keep what I have or maybe someday lose everything. Because of all of my debt, it seems like all I ever do is fight with my spouse about money. And because of debt, I might have to move back in with my parents in order to make it. I hear plenty of comments like that. And so I'm convinced it's time to get down and dirty and address the debt issue. It's time for us to take a, a, a good long look at what everyone else thinks is so normal. And do you know where debt usually comes from? One word. Overspending. Spending money on things we really can't afford. And I'm talking about buying a bunch of things that we really don't need to impress people we really don't like. <laughs> That's what overspending is. And I'm not going to belabor this point for very much longer, but currently in the United States of America, 
We are $14 trillion in debt. The American people are $14 trillion in debt, not counting house payments or mortgage payments. This is credit card payments, car loans, student loans, and revolving charge accounts of some kind. 327 million people, $14 trillion in debt. Hot off the press statistics. That's an average of $43,000 per person. And when you figure in the high interest rates, the majority of people today, the majority of Americans living normal lives, they're spending $1.40 for every dollar they make. You know what that is? Overspending. When you spend a dollar for every dollar you make, that's overspending. This is a dollar forty. This is the average. And that formula could never end well. And all that debt is creating a never-ending stranglehold on our finances. And so here's what I want to say to you today. And I'm going to say this again as kindly and as diplomatically as I can. The only way to get out of debt, and if you're serious about doing it, the only way to get out of debt is to stop using debt. Right. Amen. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. You have to stop using debt. And I have Solomon's backing on this. He agrees with me. And Solomon was a really smart guy. In Proverbs 22, verse 7, Solomon said, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The one who borrows, the one who has the debt, is slave to the lender. You see, debt will hamper and hogtie you. It will rob you of your peace, strip you of your joy. It will crush your hope. And again, Solomon says, Debt will, in effect, rule over you with an iron fist. And so at all costs, we have to break the hold that debt has on us, and it starts with a fresh determination to get out of debt. And I know for some of you right now, that seems like an insurmountable challenge. You probably think in the back of your mind, there is no way that I could ever do that. But you can. You can do that because the scripture tells us in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I love when the scripture uses the word all. Not 99 or 99.9 .9 of the things that we're faced with. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can stop using debt. You can end the crazy cycle of overspending. And you can make a determination and a choice that you're not going to add a single dollar of debt to your existing debt totals. These things are possible. The scripture tells us they are. Now, last week, in lesson number one, I told you, and again, I told you this as kindly as I can, not having enough money at the end of the month to pay your bills not having enough income to establish a little savings account or an emergency fund, not investing in the future or planning for retirement, that's usually not a money problem. It's an attitude problem. And I told you that diplomatically, softly. It's usually not a money problem. It's an attitude problem. And likewise, by the same token today, for the purpose of this message, debt is usually not a money problem. 
It's an overspending problem. And friend, everything I'm telling you today is in the word of God. Debt is usually not a money problem. It's an overspending problem. And more often than not, overspending is driven, it's initiated by an attitude of discontentment. This is what the experts say with regard to our overspending. That it comes from an attitude of discontentment. Listen to what Paul has to say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Godliness with contentment is great gain. How much gain? Not a little. So godliness, which we're all into, right? Every one of us here, we love that. With contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will or we should be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Please see here, as Paul begins his money talk, see I'm not the only one, he talks about the whole issue of contentment. Because contentment is usually at the core or at the root of our spending. And when we learn how to be content, how to be satisfied with what God has given to us, what he's blessed us with, that's when we can truly live financially restrained lives. And we don't have to pursue the rabbit trail of more and more stuff. And now I'm talking about all the possessions our income can or cannot support. And please don't misunderstand my intentions. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. And I tell you this all the time. God wants to bless us with good things. God wants us to experience the very best that he has to offer. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I mean, you know, God wants us to live good lives. So it's okay to invest in a beautiful house and to live there. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with driving a nice sporty car or an SUV or a truck, anything that your budget allows you. I commend you and I get jealous. I have to fight the spirit of envy when I find out that you're going down to Florida for you know, a couple of weeks during the long winter months, the gray months that we have here in, in Michigan. Nothing wrong with that. These are all blessings, wonderful blessings right from the hand of God. So please don't get confused about possessions and don't get self-conscious about your blessings. What I'm attempting to point out is how discontent can drive the way we spend money. And that's something that we have to understand. It's something that we have to get a handle on. Discontentment lies at the very base of our spending. And when we're spiritually content, not looking around and comparing ourselves to what everyone else has, not wishing we had more than what we had, that's when we can be free from, debt in, from the debt-inducing misconception that the very next big purchase will finally make us happy. If I could just get that 
one thing. If I could just make my way to that next event. If I could somehow work my way to owning this, I'm finally going to be happy. That's not the case. We've proven that over and over again. In fact, here's a quote for you. Spending money in pursuit of personal happiness never results in lasting happiness. Spending money or spending in pursuit of personal happiness never results in lasting happiness because once the novelty of your new purchase wears off and it doesn't last long at all, then you'll be looking for that next big thing that will make you happy. And so when it comes to reducing our debt and trying to get a handle on our debt, I cannot overstate the importance of contentment. Being satisfied with what God has given to us. Being happy, not desiring more. Learning what it means to be thankful, grateful, and cheerful. Contentment is really important. And so in an effort to drive this point home, what I'd like to do is I want to check in on three Bible personalities. And I'm talking about three heavy hitters that all weigh in on the subject of contentment. First on the list, wise guy Solomon. We already heard from him a few moments ago. Here's what Solomon has to say on the subject. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 6. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. Do you know what really frustrates me? There are a few things. Uh, But near the top of the list of frustration, when I'm working on a project and I discover that I need three hands instead of two. And that's a a pretty big problem for me because I only have two hands. I don't know anyone who has three hands. Short time ago, I was working on an electrical issue uh, that was going on with my microwave, trying to fix my microwave, uh, that was uh, relatively new. I mean, it was just about a year and a half old, and it stopped working. That's not supposed to happen. So I called for service. The technician showed up at my house. He took one look at the microwave and told me that I needed to replace it. A year and a half old. He said the part that I needed to repair my current microwave would cost $400. And since you can get a microwave cheaper than that, it was better than just buy a new one. I looked at him and said, but it's a Frigidaire. (laughs) And it was rated real high. And he said, I'm sorry about that. And then he said, if you feel real ambitious and you're a little on the handy side, You could take the door of the microwave off yourself and try to fix it. I thought to myself, "Uh, that's why I called you. (laughs) I mean, aren't you supposed to do this? You know, I kept my mouth shut. I maintained my composure. And I paid him the $107 service fee to stay at my house for five minutes and tell me I needed to replace my microwave. Well, that's when the competitive edge kicked in a little bit. And I decided to take on the project. And believe it or not, I got lucky. I found out what the problem was, but I didn't know how to fix it. 
So I called my staff guy, Mike Susan. If you know anything at all about Mike, he knows everything about everything. He's close to being, I won't say it. Okay, I was going to say omniscient, but I, I don't want to get hit. Okay, so Mike knows a lot about things. And so he gave me step-by-step instructions, and he also passed along a little encouragement so I could do it. And that's when I found out in order to fix my microwave, now that I knew how to do it, I needed three hands. One hand to hold the little safety flap in place, another hand to gather the three wires that were loose and had to be brought together, and then a third hand to connect all of the wires. So I improvised. I used two hands and a mouth, or a mouth and a chin, and actually was able to fix the problem, and it's still going strong today. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 6, here's what Solomon said. You know what works really well? What will provide you with a good degree of peace and contentment is when you can occasionally free up one of your hands. When you can get yourself in a position where you can enjoy a little downtime in life and not always be all stressed out. Solomon said, basically, instead of being so concerned about what you have and how much you have and what everybody else has, you know, the two handfuls full, desperately trying to get ahead, working yourself to the bone, and in the process losing your mind, why not give it a rest and be content with what God has provided you with? You know, you can trace this attitude of discontentment all the way back to the garden when God gave Adam and Eve instructions to have at it anywhere in the garden except for one place. And that's where they went. They made a, made a beeline for the one tree that God told them to stay away from. And God could say, hey, couldn't you be content with everything else I gave you? Solomon said, Sometimes in our efforts to go after everything there is, you just wear yourself out and you don't end up doing yourself any favors. So why not be content, be grateful, be thankful, be cheerful? All right, second on the list is the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Paul said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Did you notice that when talking about contentment, Paul said, I have learned a secret? A what? A secret. Paul said, I learned the secret of contentment. A secret by definition is, is something that is not known or seen. It's usually not easily understood. And so that verse right there that I just read, it tells me that contentment does not come easy, especially for us who are hardwired to have everything that, that we can possibly gather for ourselves. Contentment doesn't come easy. And Paul said, it was something I had to learn. 
Footnote, I didn't get it the first time, Paul said. It took a while. It was a skill that I had to acquire because I was always looking for something else. Some big event, some new idea, something that I could sink my teeth in that I didn't have. And that kind of reminds me of the airline pilot that was flying over the great smoky mountains of Tennessee. And during his flight, he pointed out a lake to his co-pilot. And he said, do you see that tiny little lake down there? When I was just a boy, I used to fish on that lake with my dad. We'd fish there almost every day during the summer. We'd fish for hours. I was bored to tears. And while I was waiting for the fish to bite, I would look up, I'd see all the planes flying overhead. And he said, instead of being in this rowboat, I sure wish I was flying one of those planes. He says, now I look down from heaven, or I look down from the sky, and I say, instead of flying this plane, I sure wish I was in that rowboat, fishing. See, this is who we are. We just can't seem to get satisfied with what we have. Paul said, I had the same problem. I was discontented until I learned the secret. And the only way that we're going to learn the secret of contentment is to get to a level of peace and happiness with what God has provided for me. What God has given to me. Not what everybody else has. Not what everyone else drives or what everyone else wears or where everyone else goes. Contentment starts with a level of happiness over the blessing of God on your life because everything we have has come from him. So again, contentment means to be grateful and to be thankful and to be cheerful. The third and final source that I want to look to is Jesus himself. And Jesus had a lot of things to say in the Gospels about contentment. I pulled this one parable out that I'd like uh, to share with you. It's found in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 24. Jesus said, watch out. Do what? Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For a man's life, a woman's life, does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. And Jesus told them this parable. He said, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. Or you foolish man, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Because this is the part of the story we want to get right. If there's one thing about the story that we want to zero in on, it's, how to be rich toward God. Being rich toward God is the opposite of collecting earthly possessions for yourself, which is a lot of times what discontentment will do. 
All we do is collect more and more and more. And being rich towards God teaches us that we were made for God and not for things. The purpose that we have in this life, the plan that God has when he created us, when he spoke our lives into existence, was to fulfill his design for our lives. We were made for God. We weren't made for things. And finally, being rich toward God is knowing the secret of contentment is found in him. No one else, nothing else. It's only how we can relate to the God who created us. And again, for possession's sake, for the pursuit of more and more stuff, many people find themselves in debt. Trying to get to the place where this culture tells us we need to be. Trying to have all the things that everyone else has. Trying to be consistent with our own dreams and our own values has gotten ourselves into a little bit of trouble. And Paul said, eager for stuff, possessions we can't afford, things that we don't need, a good number of people have pierced themselves with many, many griefs. And one of those griefs is the debt load that we're carrying around. Okay, as we bring this message to a close, what I'd like to do is I'd like to share an extremely inspirational, debt-free testimony. This is the story of Phil and Victoria Lipinski. Uh, They attend our church. They're both in their 20s. They were married in May of 2017, so they're coming up on three years, which means they're still on their honeymoon. Uh, And I believe we have a picture of them. Okay? Like so many other couples, Phil and Victoria got married with a whole lot of promise. And then shortly after they were married, that's when they found themselves in financial trouble. They couldn't afford their apartment lease, and they received several eviction notices. They didn't even have enough money to pay their bills and had to call on some family members to help them with groceries. And in order to live at the level that they were used to, in a very short period of time, they accumulated a good amount of debt, $21,418 in consumer debt. And when they saw how much debt they had acquired in such a short period of time, just under $22,000 and counting, that's when they were convinced that something had to change. And they decided to go after their debt, all of it. So they came up with a plan and a deadline. Both of them recall looking at the number, $21,418, and feeling so overwhelmed. They were thinking to themselves and to each other, how are we going to do this? This is such a big number, so much money. It's going to take forever for us to try to reduce this debt. But they were both committed to it, and they decided to get some help. They spent some of their date nights watching Dave Ramsey videos, and listening to every debt-free podcast they could get their hands on, and they were determined. They came up with a tight budget. They began to make sacrifices. They went over every dollar they made and every dollar they spent, and they wrote it all down. And they refused to add a single dollar of debt to their current debt load, which is a key. They only went out to eat or out on a real date when they had extra money. They got rid of lease vehicles and drove used cars. And as difficult as it was, they did not skip 
any of their debt payments. It was a team effort. Both Phil and Victoria were on the same page and they encouraged each other throughout the process. They reminded themselves often of their goal and objective, which was to get a handle on their finances and be in charge of their spending, not the other way around. And it took them 16 months, 16 months to pay off 21,000 and change in debt. And today, Phil and Victoria are debt-free. As you can imagine, they are extremely happy about that. And here's what they said to me. We had, we had a conversation. In fact, they, they sent all that information to me that I, to, to me that I just shared with you. Uh, but here's what they had to say uh, about the process. They said, because they were able to adjust their attitude and change their attitude when it comes to money, they're finally able to save some money, to give to others in need, and bless people who are struggling. And believing what the word of God has to say about money, they tithe. In fact, they said they tithe all during the debt-free process, and they never skimped on tithing to pay the debt down quicker. They said we were determined to not only, we were determined to not only remain debt-free, we want to be good stewards of all that God has given to us so that we can go beyond the tithe and do our part to further the kingdom of God. During the debt-free process, as challenging as it was, we had fun. We cooked together. We enjoyed inexpensive game nights together. We spent more time with our family members, more time with our friends. And we learned to trust God. And we learned that the most important things in life cannot be bought. I love that last statement. I'm going to close with it. We learned to trust God. We learn what it meant to trust God. And we learn that the best things in life can't be bought with money. Friend, that is a revelation. Because life is so short. You know, we get going sometimes and we just don't realize it. Our relationships with God, our relationships with each other, that's what's really important. And so just to know that I... (coughs) Excuse me haven't made this all up, and that Phil and Victoria are real people. Can I get you to stand wherever you're at? (laughs) Phil and Victoria, we're really proud of you. Thank you for sharing your story with us and being so transparent. They said that I could do this so that anyone else who needs information, feel free to talk to them. They would be happy to help you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, once again, our prayer has been that you would do more than what we could do. Lord, we've been faithful to try and share the word that you place in our hearts. It's our desire, Lord God, to communicate how important it is that we trust you, we look to you in every situation, including our finances. It is our desire, Lord, that the families of Community Christian Church would be recipients of your abundant blessing. And we know, Lord God, that how we handle our finances is an important part of that blessing. And so for those, Lord, who are receiving the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is good, 
It's not shameful. It's not something that brings guilt. But opening our hearts to you and allowing your word to change and transform us, Lord, we pray that you would indeed be true to your word when you said you would give us the grace, you would give us the strength and the provision to make a positive change in our finances this year. Lord, we want to put our house in order. Everything that has to do with our house, including our finances. We want the House of Community Christian Church to be in order. And we ask, Lord God, that this year, 2020, that you would help us do just that. Thank you, Lord, for speaking life into your people. Thank you for those, Lord, who have the thought, I can do this. This is possible. We just heard another young couple. They made a determination. They did it. They were able to pay down $16,000 in debt in a relatively short period of time. Lord, give us the willpower. Give us the discipline. Give us the desire to honor you. You are a good God, Lord. Every good thing we have comes from your hand. We continue to pray for your full and complete blessing over your people. Amen. Let's all stand. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.